In another example of what would have been unbelievable at any point in time up until now, the President of the United States of America, Joseph Robinette Biden, held an official press conference from the White House where he directly addressed not only the dramatic increase in sightings of unidentified flying objects or UFOs. Uh, they're actually called, uh, uh, they're called UAPs. Well, then all of the government needs to stop referring to them as UFOs because they made the decision I to guess, change it. I guess UAP just didn't catch on. Yeah. Joe Biden just killed the UAP. So not only the increase uh, in sightings of whatever you want to call them, but also the fact that he has personally ordered them to take uh, be taken down by U.S. military aircraft. And spoiler alert, we know we have to say this pretty much any time we talk about UFOs, but so far, this has nothing to do with little green space aliens. When it does have something to do with extraterrestrial beings, rest assured, we will let you know immediately. Mm -hmm. Can't say the same about the government, though. Yeah, they can't, might not. Uh, can't be sure that they'd be so open and uh, conversational about these sorts of events if aliens were involved. In fact, the fact that they're talking about it so much, um, for me indicates that there are almost certainly not aliens involved <laughs> in any of this. Yeah. Still, uh, you know, the question remains. Why the seemingly sudden increase in sightings and military engagements? And who's responsible? There's a lot of questions about this, and, and these were questions that Joe Biden tried to answer, or at least acknowledge, during this most recent press conference. What we got were a few confirmations of what these objects are not, and more questions about what they are. Though, in a few cases, uh, it looks like the military might have shot down... <laughs> Uh, they they might have gotten a little overzealous uh, here. They might have actually just shot down uh, some balloons owned and operated by private companies or maybe even uh, private individuals. Private citizens, just balloon enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, it looks like our jokes about the Goodyear blimp being attacked might not have been too far from the truth. And thank God it didn't come to that. Yes. Uh, we'd like to also point out that Biden is referencing just those last three objects from the last, what was it, week or so? Yeah. Here's some excerpts from this highly anticipated press conference uh, event on the topic of UFOs from the president via CBS News. We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, Mr. Jack, <laughs> Mr. Biden said, but nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from any other country. The intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were mostly balloons tied to private companies, recreation, or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. Oh, cool. So we, we shot down shot down research balloons. I do, I do love that. Balloons you know, are illegal now. Even whatever it is, 60 years or so since uh, Roswell, they're still like, even if it's true, which it definitely most likely is, it's still just being like, they're weather balloons. I mean, I, I'm... You know, I'm willing to accept the idea yeah. that a good number of supposed UFO sightings were balloons. Because yes. if you see a large balloon high up in the sky from directly below, it's going to look a little bit like a UFO. Like yeah. Uh, the president also sought to send the message that the U.S. is not looking for a new Cold War with China. Are you sure about that? And he said that he expects to be speaking with Chinese President Xi Jinping, though he did not say when a conversation with Xi would take place. Nonetheless, Mr. Biden also said he made no apologies for taking down the spy balloon. The president's remarks from the White House came as the administration continues to work on identifying the nature and origin of multiple objects the Pentagon has shot down over North American airspace this month. An earlier object shot down off the coast of South Carolina was determined to be a Chinese spy balloon and part of what the Biden administration says is part of a larger surveillance operation. The administration is still searching for three subsequent objects shot down over U.S. and Canadian airspace this month. 
So Biden then claims that the recent uptick in unidentified object sightings is a direct result of the U.S. military increasing the sensitivity of its radar, which uh, we're sure was a sight to behold when it happened. Look at this. <laughs> My radar goes to 11. Yeah. Hey, has anyone else noticed that the sensitivity has been on low for a really long ah, time? Geez. Oh, jeez. Let's crank this bad boy. Oh, my oh, God. What the hell are these? What is, uh, the sky is just riddled with dots. <laughs> we we got to go start taking these things gotta out. We got to shoot all these fucking things yeah. down. So apparently this led to knocking down a couple of objects that appeared to be a little bit suspicious, or at the very least, to let all those balloons know that uh, the full might of the most outrageously funded military on Earth Got our eyes on them. We're watching you, Jack. Um, though so far, aside from the Chinese spy balloon, the rest have been harmless, allegedly. Though Biden reiterated his rock-hard stance <laughs> on how the U.S. will deal with these UFOs going forward, saying, make no mistake, if any object presents a threat to the safety and security of the American people, I will take it down. Yeah. And while neither the military nor the president have confirmed what they took down recently or who it belonged to, one group might have the answer. And it would be safe to assume that they are pretty bummed about it. They're a little upset. Uh, we're not going to be able to come up with a, a funnier headline than the actual headline written by a news organization specializing in aviation. So we'll just pull that up and read it to you. Hobby Club's missing balloon feared shot down by U.S. Air Force. They had a bake sale for, and everything for that balloon. It was, it was their pride and joy. You know how many chocolate bars we had to sell for this thing? It was their big 2023 project. And, uh, you know, those balloons, they're not cheap. And... Uh, everyone was so happy about that balloon. and The kids were finally interested in yeah. science, and uh, look what you did. So, yeah, awesome. And if true, hilarious. Though undoubtedly upsetting for everyone involved. Here's more from that article in Aviation Week. A small, globe-trotting balloon declared missing in action by an Illinois-based hobbyist club on February 15th has emerged as a candidate to explain one of the three mystery objects shot down by four heat-seeking missiles launched by U.S. Air Force fighters since February 10th. I, I'm curious how much each of those missiles costs, and I know whatever the answer is, it will be higher than I would have even guessed. Yeah, yeah, astronomical. But look, the safety of Americans was at yeah. risk here with these balloons, so what are you going to do? Zero tolerance for balloons in this country. <laughs> Zero. And they still haven't figured out the Mylar balloon issue. Yeah. Yeah, that's the real danger. It is. It's weird that they sell those. <laughs> I, they, I saw a bunch of, like, heart-shaped Mylar balloons on Valentine's Day. I was like, what? what's the deal with Mylar balloons? Luckily, we've had a lot of rain in the past two months, but, you know, once summer comes around, get rid of them. One spark. Anyway, yeah, shooting down a, a hobby club's, you know, little balloon project. That's the most American news story we can think of. So let's continue. The club, the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. <laughs> it couldn't have had a funnier name. Abbreviation NIB. Is not pointing fingers yet, but the circumstantial evidence is at least intriguing. The club's silver-coated party-style Pico balloon reported its last position on February 10th at 38,910 feet off the west coast of Alaska. And a popular forecasting tool, the High Split model provided by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, projected the cylindrically shaped object would be floating high over the central part of the Yukon Territory on February 11th. That is the same day a Lockheed Martin F-22 shot down an unidentified object of a similar description and altitude in the same general area. They sent F-22s to it. It's insane. Your hobby balloon has been compromised to a permanent end. <laughs> In a place where it's unretrievable, Ladies basically. Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. We can't slow the planes down enough to pick up the uh, the balloons, so. 
Uh, so there are suspicions among other prominent members of the small Pico ballooning enthusiast community, which combines ham radio and high-altitude ballooning into a single, relatively affordable, extremely dorky, but kind of cool <laughs> hobby. That it, it is literally probably the two dorkiest hobbies, though very cool. Yeah, man, uh, the ham radio community's just gotten too... They like, can't catch a break. There's too many fucking, you know... I was into ham radio back when it was cool, but now every every everyone's coming in saying, "Oh, I love ham radio." So I gotta I gotta make my my niche hobby even more niche yeah. by cross pollinating with the amateur ballooning community. And the airwaves are so like just uh, clogged these days that the only way you can get a good signal is by sending up a balloon to forty thousand feet over Alaska. Mm. I it's just also. The story's funny enough on its own, but the fact that ham radio operators and balloon enthusiasts have made a crossover, they've shaken hands, they've joined forces, and now the U.S. government is attacking their balloons. Yeah. It, you can't write this stuff. My my favorite ham radio thing is, like, the only person under, like, 50 that I am aware of in the entire country who is, like, a ham radio enthusiast is that review bra guy it, who, uh, who does a ham radio show every week that... I assume people listen to. Also, just like these balloons and the <laughs> trains that can't stay on the tracks, we have brought up rev review bra for completely separate uh, things in like the past three episodes. Yeah. So maybe something bigger is at play here. Maybe review bra is the extraterrestrial you know, being. He's, uh, you know, you put you can only push a man so far before, <laughs> uh, before he cracks. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the article continues with a quote. I tried contacting our military and the FBI and just got the runaround to try to enlighten them on what a lot of these things probably are. And they're going to look not too intelligent to be shooting them down, <laughs> says Ron Meadows, the founder of Scientific Balloon Solutions, or SBS, a Silicon Valley company that makes purpose-built Pico balloons for hobbyists, educators, and scientists. The descriptions of all three unidentified objects shot down February 10th through 12th match the shapes, altitudes, and payloads of the small Pico balloons, which can usually be purchased for $12 to $180 each, depending on the type. Oh, okay. They're not that expensive. Though. Yeah, we need to go just send up a couple of these for uh, just for shits and giggles. I'm going to send one up, and it's going to be filled with pink glitter. We should... We did it. It's a girl. Yeah. When the military shoots it down, it'll be uh, quite impressive. Yeah. Uh, I want to make one that looks exactly like the Seymour Skinner butt balloon that floats <laughs> by. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, uh, according to at least one ballooning enthusiast, there is potential for another military engagement today, uh, February yeah. 17th. Uh -huh. So amazing. Uh, Tom Medlin, a Pico ballooning enthusiast who apparently has three balloons that are still airborne for now, says one of his balloons, call sign... W5KUB112 is projected by high split to enter U.S. airspace on February 17th. It already circumnavigated the globe several times, but its trajectory last carried the object over China before it will enter either Mexican or U.S. airspace. I hope, Medlin said, that in the next few days when that happens, we're not real trigger happy and start shooting down everything. It is also Please like, don't shoot my balloon. It is also odd that... I don't, I, I don't know what take to have on this because on one hand, like... Enthusiasts are just sending balloons around the world, and like, I think they should be able to do that. I think it's a fun hobby. Uh, I it might be uh, dangerous to air travel. I don't know. Yeah, uh, they're I, so small technically that I, I I don't know if there'd be a problem. But it is weird that potentially World War Three could kick off by a bunch of ham radio operators and balloon enthusiasts just participating in their hobby because yeah. China looks at this like. And probably says the same thing. Like, what the fuck is this balloon that's flying in our airspace that appears to be uh, originating from the U.S.? 
Yeah, well, it sounds like there's a lot more balloons floating around up there than most people would have thought. And if we had only listened to the experts, yeah, and we, this could have all maybe been prevented. You know, we all laughed when uh, this country just uh, seemingly mindlessly shot their guns into the air frequently, taking down hurricanes and the right. like, uh, when really they might have been doing everyone a, a favor by taking down numerous spy balloons. Uh, Except trying to shoot something down with a with small arms that is uh, at like fifty thousand feet in the air, probably not going to work. Probably just going to end up landing some bullets somewhere else and potentially uh, killing people or animals or destroying things. Well, but, yeah, of uh, course. You know, it's the it's the thought that counts. I it is. Yeah, they're, they're trying their best. It was like what was that? Uh, who, I'm doing my part. Who's that new senator, Josh, or the hillbilly elegy guy? Hmm. Whatever. Oh, JD Vance. Yeah, JD Vance like posted. Like holding his gun, like oh, waiting for that balloon. Uh, Shut up. He dork. also went into dork. the uh, one of the creeks in Ohio and was like, "Hey, this shit's fucked. Someone should do something about this." Yeah, sir, you are an elected <laughs> official from Ohio. Yeah, that river is pretty nasty though. It's like uh, it's kind of cool looking. Like that water's fucked forever. But um, the sheen. Yeah, Beautiful. when you when you get those chemicals all shaken up, it's like. Uh, so who's to say how bad this is? Yeah, it looks like something from like the movie Annihilation. It's mm -hmm. got that. Uh, well, there was a term for it. People put it on like their car finish sometimes, but yeah. it's like all the like it's all the colors of the rainbow, fluorescent. Yeah. I, I, that's not a real word, but you you look it up. I, you know, it's good that you're finding the positive iridescence. Things. You're finding the positive in things that uh, most people would think are negative. So I, I appreciate your optimism. There's a <laughs> similarly the, the the greatest example of that is there's a lake I believe in Russia that like is the site of a horrible industrial accident mm -hmm. that. Uh, Made the lake look like the light baby blue water of like the the seashells islands. So influencers from Russia go to this highly toxic place to like pose in front of it. Yeah. Uh, in bathing suits, it's like, oh, I'm you know, I'm in the I'm in the South Indian Sea. Uh, Beautiful, my isn't holiday. it? But no, you're actually near some of the dirtiest fucking water in the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'd also like to point out that uh, all of this, the the Biden presser, the obliteration of numerous balloons and etc. This seems to have nothing to do with the very real reports of UFOs or UAPs that defy physics and the laws of gravity, like the ones spotted by military pilots who can't understand what they're seeing or how whatever it is is propelled through the air in a way that doesn't make sense. More importantly, these unidentified flying objects are so far relatively harm harmless when compared to the recent identified flying objects that have no business leaving the ground. Our country's numerous train derailments and everyone's heightened awareness of them as a result of the catastrophe in East Palestine, Ohio. And by the time we had finished filming the episode where we covered the freight train carrying hazardous materials that derailed, potentially polluting the surrounding area, another train carrying hazardous materials derailed in a completely different part of the country. And then, two days later, we regret to inform you that a third train carrying hazardous materials has derailed, this time just outside of Detroit. Uh, there was also, like, uh, I think there was a truck also that, like, overturned on a highway. Uh, and it's interesting. Just fumes pouring out of it. People are getting very uh, conspiratorial uh, about this. Like, what's going on? Are these yeah. attacks? It's like, no, actually, actually, it's way worse than that. This actually happens all the fucking time. It has for a long time. We yeah. just, we're just paying closer attention now because of one particularly bad incident yeah. but uh yeah apparently like at, like every day of the year for the last couple decades there's been like two to three train derailments uh elliot <laughs> the legal term is oopsie daisies yeah a yeah there's oopsies a lot more oopsie daisies than we realize yeah uh, i think most of the time 
they don't involve hazardous chemicals, and we're just having a real bad run right now. But like, yeah. when you roll the dice long enough, you're gonna you're gonna hit a hot streak. Yeah, we got a very been, hot streak. It's been now. a real hot streak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the Houston derailment appears to have been caused by a collision with a truck that was on the tracks. Buddy, that's the last place you should be. <laughs> no! Uh, but of yeah. all the places to park. But yeah, it's going to be understa it's understandable. Not all trains are going to be winners. Yeah, you, sometimes you, a truck gets in the way. Yeah, you have to account for people driving their cars into them. It was that train's time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the derailment in Michigan, as far as we've seen, doesn't have an obvious explanation yet, though it was operated by the same company, Norfolk Southern, who claims that no hazardous materials have leaked from this one, though... Officials are still monitoring the situation, and yeah. I wouldn't really take their word for anything at this point. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this obviously begs the question, why the hell can't our trains stay on the dang tracks? Is it just our heightened awareness of train derailments that makes things seem worse than they are? Yes and no. Yeah. The Ohio train derailment, which ended up in a gigantic fireball after the decision was made to burn off the chemicals, was certainly an extreme and therefore newsworthy example. But yeah, according to the Federal Railroad Administration, there are about a thousand derailments every year. Whew. And uh, as for like why, I don't know if I'll be able to find the clip, but uh, someone posted this like news clip from, I, I don't think it was like even that recent, but it was this set of train tracks in Ohio that is like, a hundred years old. It's like warped to shit. And it's like this problem. train just like shaking on it and like the, the tracks are buckling. I'm like, Jesus it, Christ. That is what is so maddening about all of this is it's just like, yeah, this is like baked into the cost of doing business. And it's like, well, couldn't we do anything to improve the infrastructure in the country at all? Yeah, but that's the thing. You'd have to shut down those tracks for, I don't know, a couple of days. And that means lost profits. Mm-hmm. And uh, can't but have that. I guess this is just a normal and acceptable part of operating a massive amount of freight train travel, which seems odd and also uh, eventually expensive when catastrophe happens. Yeah. Checkmate, Libs. You said this wasn't a nation of trains. <laughs> yeah. It turns out we got a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is a problem without a solution. Something that is just part of driving a train. They're going to hop off the tracks Not every, every once in a while. train's a winner. Uh, well, let's look at that uh, train administration's report to see what's up. Broken or defective railroads are one of the most common causes of derailments, according to the FRA. Faulty or missing cross ties, beams perpendicular to rails, triggered 5.6 of the derailments in 2022, making it the single largest cause of derailments. Excessive speed, track obstructions like snow, ice, or mud, and faulty switch points, sections of the track where trains change direction, were some of the other leading causes of derailment in 2022. So it, it appears as though while some are unavoidable, uh, weather incidents and the like, a lot have to do with the same crumbling infrastructure that affects your average citizen every day in a variety of ways. Like, that bridge is going to work fine until it doesn't. Right. Yeah, you can see a bunch of rusty runoff coming down through the many cracks yeah. in the concrete, but it, it hasn't broken those, yet. Look at those cars. They're getting over it just fine. They're not scared, are you? Yeah. What are you, a pussy? Uh. And we do want to clarify that, you know, we don't think there's some vast conspiracy at play here. I mean, I guess technically there sort of is, but the conspiracy is a conspiracy of complacency uh, yeah. uh, for profit. Yeah, it's pretty out in the uh, open. Yeah, like the, the conspiracy is called capitalism, and you're living in it. Yeah. But yeah, it's just typical lack of regulation and oversight that only bubbles to the surface when something undeniably bad happens. We do love the excuses that were made, though, by the head of the National Travel Safety Bureau, Jennifer Homendy who downplayed the use of modern braking systems on these trains as if it wouldn't have helped at all. Uh, these tweets are a little confusing. We want to make sure we're reading them right. Yeah. So please let us know if we're the ones who are crazy. But uh, here you go. 
Some are saying the ECP, electronically controlled pneumatic brake rule, if implemented, would have prevented this derailment. False! Here's why. The ECP braking rule would have applied only to high hazard flammable trains. The trains that derailed in East Palestine were a mixed freight train containing only three placarded class three flammable liquid cars. This means even if the rule had gone into effect, this train wouldn't have had ECP brakes. Okay, but like, if it had, if it had the ECP brakes. Well, you don't understand, they weren't forced to do it, so it didn't and wouldn't have, Elliot. She's like, so you don't understand, the rule that was proposed, which was ultimately rejected, wouldn't have wouldn't have made a difference here because that rule was woefully inadequate. So <laughs> check me. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so yeah, we pointed this out in our previous video, and it uh, we added that it would it would be nice if any trains carrying any amount of hazardous materials would upgrade their braking systems. Yeah, seems like even just three cars. Uh, that's uh, not one only had three highly flammable more, cars. Seems like more than enough highly flammable cars. Yeah, and we pointed out that they shouldn't only do it if the current government makes it a regulation or demands it. Like this should be pretty high on the safety list of things. In fact, uh, numerous uh, industry veterans have been ringing alarm bells for years. Yeah, these trains wouldn't have or didn't have these updated brakes because the company and the train industry at large said that it wouldn't have been cost effective to do so. Not that it wouldn't have prevented something like this from happening. So what the fuck? Literal industry veterans with decades of experience have been publicly sounding alarm bells for years, regardless of whether or not government regulators had the balls to enact and enforce things. It's definitely a fun way to spin things, though. Um, we did nothing, and it ended in yeah. a big fireball. But it wasn't anyone's fault because, you know, it's an option. Some trains are born to die. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, actually, this still would have happened anyway because uh, it, it was less hazardous than a three-mile-long rolling bomb. Yeah. So, that's just checkmate. And I'm not gonna, not gonna, you know, examine at all why we're allowing three hazardous cars to go on a train with a bunch of other cars and then just call the whole thing non-hazardous. Hey, before uh, you leave the station, can you make sure that uh, less than half of the cars on this three mile long train are uh, not highly, <laughs> are highly flammable? <laughs> yeah, and in some cases just being like, no, this isn't hazardous. They look fine to me. But again, we are not train experts. Choo choo. And also we don't have the billionaire mindset. So, you know, relating cost to potential tragedy is something that we think would be beneficial. Yeah, that, yeah I mean, on, instead on of the paying surface. billions of dollars to clean up the numerous derailments that seem to be happening every day. Well, we need to go down to like our local college campus, set up a set up a table that says, um, you know, making the railroads safer would be a good idea and a long term, uh, a good long term strategy. Change my mind. Change my mind. And then the uh, head of uh, the National Transportation Se uh, Safety Bureau comes They wouldn't up. have done anything. They wouldn't have done anything because they weren't told to do it, you <laughs> dumbass. <laughs> I, well, guess, I guess we are stupid. I've been owned. Yeah. Anyway, we know that uh, we got a lot more news coming up for you in just a second. But first, uh, let's thank today's sponsor, HelloFresh. You know what tastes good? Food. Mm -hmm. You know what tastes better? Food that you could cook yourself in your own home kitchen, yeah. perhaps on a gas stove <laughs> or whatever. That's why we love how easy it is to cook great meals at home with HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. 
Remember those New Year's goals that you promised yourself you'd stick to? I sure do. HelloFresh is here to help you eat better by delivering fresh ingredients and easy recipes right to your door, taking the hassle out of dinner time. Get HelloFresh and skip that extra trip to the grocery store and the long checkout lines. Spend more time doing the things you love with delicious, chef-crafted recipes delivered to your doorstep. HelloFresh now has 40 weekly recipes to choose from, so you can say bye-bye to your recipe rut and treat yourself and your family to exciting new flavors every week. Another one I've been into recently, and I always love, easy prep, easy to cook once you know how to do it, and done in just minutes. There are a wide variety of tacos. Yeah. You get any kind of meat or veggies you want in them, and they're always delicious. Some interesting tacos. Uh, so no matter your lifestyle or meal preferences, HelloFresh has recipes sure to please everyone at your table. From fit and wholesome to veggie or family friendly, you'll always find something even the pickiest eaters will enjoy. HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients and easy-to-follow recipe cards mean you can get a delicious home-cooked dinner on the table without all the time-consuming meal planning or prepping. Fast and fresh recipes, HelloFresh's latest line of meals featuring robust flavors and filling portions are ready in less than 15 minutes. Oh my gosh. Enjoy taste and quality done quick with recipes like falafel power bowls, seared steak and potatoes with Bernese sauce, or Southwest pork and bean burritos. Go to HelloFresh.com slash NewsDump65 and use code NewsDump65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That is HelloFresh.com slash NewsDump65 with code NewsDump65 for 65% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Number one. All right, back to the news now with some more traditional media analysis. And this time, we're taking a look at two hilarious examples of media rights enforcement, or lack thereof. Now, first up is a story about the rights to comic book or a, a comic oh, strip character, yeah. <laughs> Dick Tracy. The kids all love Dick Tracy, don't they? Everyone these days knows all about mm. Dick Tracy with his uh, futuristic watch that makes sounds and you can talk into. Like this was a this was a retro this was retro fan service in done in the eighties for a generation that no longer exists. Yeah. They were like, like uh, you know, remember that comic strip you used to read during the Great Depression? But <laughs> 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 we're making a movie starring a guy who was uh, a very big film star back then, but uh, hasn't done much since. Yeah, you know. Anyway, we've he come... doesn't need to. Yeah, I, I, Warren Beatty, he's done the right thing. He's, he's been you know... too busy laying pipe across the <laughs> across the globe. The man, Warren Beatty. I mean, and you look at what he looked like in his prime, and you understand. But that man, uh, the list of famous uh, women that he dated, shall we say, is is long and impressive. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's that's why you go into hiding. You've done it all. Yeah, the movies, the women. What, is, what else is there left to conquer? He that. did the opposite of Elon Musk. Yeah. Yeah. He's satisfied, mm -hmm. except with this one little thing. <laughs> yeah, one. <laughs> this is his one, yeah. uh, one thing that he still fights for. So yeah, we have come to realize that any generation born after the 80s might only have a passing recollection of the name Dick Tracy unless they've specifically sought out the old comics or what is considered by many to be the pinnacle of filmmaking, the Dick Tracy live-action movie starring Warren Beatty. Uh, Madonna. And, yeah, starring Madonna in her first film role. Uh, Al Pacino. Um, it was an all-star cast. Some of the best, uh, some of the best practical VFX and art direction mm -hmm. in a movie of the '80s. Like it is, uh, and I think it's aged pretty well too. It, it has aged quite well. It's been a couple years since I've seen it, but at the time, it was actually quite critically acclaimed and also nominated for uh, uh, plenty of awards. But when you watch it in retrospect with zero context, like if you were someone younger, like, what is this? What the <laughs> is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, in addition to starring 
in the Dick Tracy movie. Warren Beatty also directed and produced it. He's a real renaissance man. Mm -hmm. And uh, to this day, he retains the film rights to the Dick Tracy franchise after purchasing them outright in 1985, which is kind of nuts, but hey, good for him. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also the reason there hasn't been a reboot or a sequel or a remake of the 1990 film, uh, mainly because the old rights owners, Tribune Media Services, have repeatedly fought to get the rights back from Beatty. And he's appeared in court to maintain the film rights and has won his case every time. But one stipulation that's common in the entertainment industry boils down to use it or lose it. So I believe that's the actual legal term, sorry. Yeah. You, you use it or you lose it. So every once in a while, the now 85-year-old Beatty has to dust off that bright yellow suit and literally become Dick Tracy on screen in some capacity <laughs> in order to fulfill his side of the deal and please the courts. He did this back in 2010 and... He's done it again. He's back. <laughs> uh, he did it earlier this month uh, where he partnered with Turner Classic Movies to produce a show that appears to be nothing more than Beatty dialing in on Zoom for an interview dressed as Dick Tracy. An interview that he conducts in some parts with himself yeah, he's as in Warren Beatty. Yeah, character as Dick Tracy and then also in the conversation as director Warren Beatty. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. He, he And in the process has technically produced media relating to the character yeah. and fulfilled the requirements needed to retain the rights. Uh, here's IndieWire with more on this latest Dick Tracy special event, which is literally titled Dick Tracy Special. Tracy zooms in. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, donning the character's signature yellow coat and hat, Tracy participates in a Zoom call with TCM hosts Ben Mankiewicz and Leonard Malton to give an update on his life and express his displeasure with Beatty's film. In this universe, Beatty's Dick Tracy is a real person who exists separately from the film Dick Tracy and merely looks identical to the actor who played him in the film, which Dick talked about in the first TCM special about uh, from 2010. <laughs> the three men watch several clips from the film together before they decide to call Beatty to settle Tracy's complaints once and for all. Beatty then joins the call as himself, where he eventually reconciles with Tracy, and they agree to have a more collaborative relationship in the event Beatty makes a sequel. This man is 85 years old. Yeah, probably. yeah. While the special was listed on TCM's schedule in advance, it received no social media promotion and came as a surprise to even the channel's most hardcore fans. Many immediately began to speculate that the show was produced as a way for Beatty to retain the legal rights to the character. And, and yeah, like this, they did not advertise this at all, uh, didn't even tweet about it. It went on like pretty late at night on like a Saturday or something. It was a fr late Friday night. Yeah, yeah. like a, real, a dumping ground in, in the TV uh, scheduling I universe. Just, I love that, like, I'm sure that he's aware that the the chances are dwindling for him to, for, like, even produce or direct. Yeah, I do Dick have Tracy. to wonder, like, what his motivations are. Like, I like spite. His, I like his level of spite that he's he's putting to work here. It's uh, because it's that like they're gonna literally have to pry from my cold dead hands. But it's like, it is weird that he hasn't used the franchise in this like new age of superhero like overexposure. Dick Tracy is arguably like the first like faithfully. Uh, produced superhero movie, like of the modern era, and it, it's, it's like Batman '89, right before it. That's true. Yeah, they came out around the same time. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's very odd. It's like I, I, but again, maybe the youth just don't care about Dick Tracy. It's like this this movie takes place in what 1938. No, all, get out of here. All of the villains in the movie would be considered ableist. That's as well. true, but the villains are the best part. <laughs> they made those villains look like just. <laughs> Hideous. That's why I loved it when I was a kid. They were terrifying. Villains, huh? Why are they mad about them? What are their superpowers? They're butt ugly. 
Yeah. yeah. It's, it sort of like falls in the same category of movies as Roger Rabbit, where it's stuff I never actually watched like as a whole until much later and mostly just caught like glimpses of as but a it's child. Art. It is and I was like, art. what the hell am I looking at? Yeah, and uh, I, much like Roger Rabbit, this one, Dick Tracy was, uh, I believe, or distributed... Or, Disney owned the rights at yeah. some point, and they they used a subsidiary to release it uh, like, because it was not for kids, obviously, yeah. and uh, apparently had plans that that Dick Tracy might have been their next Indiana Jones. Yeah, but or whoever's Indiana Jones. The, the problem is that Warren Beatty, he's a very capable filmmaker, but he has a bad habit of running way over budget, and he did that again with this movie. So yeah. And, uh, just didn't end up making enough money for them. Well, that's the thing. The results don't lie. Yeah. They, they needed that extra money to they make did. it perfect. Yeah. But uh, IndieWire's reporting continues. Sources confirmed to IndieWire that Beatty approached TCM about making the second special, possibly due to the rights nearing expiration. Beatty has always been open to his desire to make a sequel to Dick Tracy and was still claiming to be planning the film as recently as 2016. The 85-year-old actor's <laughs> only movie since 2001 was his 2016 Howard Hughes film, Rules Don't Apply. So fans probably shouldn't hold their breath about Dick Tracy, too. But at least now, Beatty won't have any legal roadblocks if he attempts to make the film. Yeah, he's been, I guess, semi-retired. The last thing I remember him doing was uh, getting on stage with Faye Dunaway and uh, accidentally giving the Oscar to La La Land when yeah. it should have gone to Moonlight. Yeah. Wasn't his fault. It was Faye Dunaway's fault. Well, not wasn't even her fault. It was Price Waterhouse Coopers. But, yes. Uh, yeah, those are two people. You watch the original, uh, the old Bonnie and Clyde movie. Yeah, two uh, two people, a man and a woman, have never looked that hot together. Yeah, before or since. See, now we've already talked about some conspiracies in this episode. I want to bring up the fact that Price Waterhouse intentionally made Beatty look stupid in order to drive him into hiding so that he wouldn't do yeah. his Dick Tracy You're stuff. You're on to this man's clearly. He's 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 lost his marbles. He's going. He's got dementia. He can't even. He fucked up Best Picture. Yeah. So I think... We, uh, we, we have to take the Dick Tracy yeah. rights back. Uh, regardless of the reasoning behind it, unsuspecting audiences watching TCM late Friday night uh, were treated to something that wouldn't have felt out of place airing on Adult Swim in the middle of the night. Yeah. It is... It's kind of cool that they did this. Uh, I, 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 watching should, even more segments like of it, I was just like, yeah, this is very strange, yeah. but also <laughs> very funny. It's an 85-year-old man arguing with himself while two classic film experts just watch along. Yeah, two, like, real, like, yeah. uh, highly acclaimed uh, movie critics. Yeah, probably the two highest-claimed, still-living yeah. movie critics uh, watching Warren Beatty argue with himself uh, in a in a show that is produced with the sole intention of allowing this man, who is very friendly with TCM, yeah. to keep the rights to something that he probably will never use. It'd be, he should do it, though. Technically, this whole experience has been art, and I thank yeah. everyone involved. Yeah. yeah. That's why Warren Beatty's one of the greats. <laughs> yeah, you can't deny it. But speaking of art that has graced our screens as the result of certain rights issues... Cocaine Bear isn't the only evil bear gracing our screens recently, because thanks to the public domain laws, as of January 1st, Winnie the Pooh is now part of the public domain. And as a result of this, a new horror movie has been released, centered entirely on an evil old bear that lives in the 100 Acre Woods. The film, titled Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, is nothing more than a low-budget slasher film, but that's all it really needs to be. Yeah. And the people behind the film are assuring everyone that the sequel will be much better and that this was essentially a test run to see if they could get away with releasing it. Okay. Here's the BBC with more on Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. It's a great title, first of all. A 2022's public domain day in the U.S. brought with it a particularly tantalizing prospect. 
A.A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh was among the works that had reached their 95-year copyright limit, meaning that the Butterball Bear could henceforth be used and depicted by anyone and in any way they wanted. Within months, the culturally entrenched image of Winnie the Pooh as a kind, smiling, honey-bellied fellow had quite literally been savaged. On May 25th, the poster for an upcoming slasher horror film named Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey was released, and a new Pooh emerged. Half man, half bear, axe-wielding, snarling, feral, terrifying. After only five months of Winnie the Pooh's lapse into the public domain, a man had both made an entire horror film from the character and begun that film's release strategy. The man is UK filmmaker Reese Frake Waterfeld, who until recently worked for an electricity supplier while making micro-budget horror films on the side. Now, on the back of his directorial debut, Waterfield is responsible for what may turn out to be one of this year's most profitable film releases. Originally intended as a streaming release with a single-day theatrical showing in the U.S., now, on the back of its poster and trailer's unexpected online virality, the film is being rolled out in cinemas across the world. In Mexico, where the film received its global premiere on uh, January 29th, the film went to number four at the box office in its first week, taking in a reported $700,000. Holy shit! Yeah. Is it good? No. Well, it does. There's no way it is, right? I mean, if you are a genre film lover, like you'll probably uh, enjoy it just by the fact that it exists and that there's blood in it and that it is kitschy and dumb and made specifically with the intention of probably pissing off more than the Milne estate. Disney. Uh, Disney. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the article goes on to talk about how certain things were still off limits and won't be available in the public domain for quite some time. For example. The character Tigger wasn't introduced until the 1970s, so... Can't be in there. He's still protected. No Tigger. Doesn't appear in this movie and won't appear in any it's of you little long, freaks little movies. No. Long time. Yeah. Uh, Disney owns a specific design of Winnie the Pooh, the bear, including his famous red shirt, so this is literally just a slash film made for fun with a bear in it to kind of troll copyright enforcement and take hold of some easy marketing. Like we said, the quality of this film seems to be lacking. Understandably. These are independent filmmakers on a shoestring budget and cranking out whatever they could in a short time span, after all. But that's kind of the charm of low-budget horror. So, I don't know. The reviews, are, they're not great. Variety concluded that Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey is a rock-bottom joint that fails to meet even the most basic expectations set up by his conceptual gimmick, which is a bit harsh. <laughs> well, also, Variety's, you know, they could, could be uh, out there yeah, Defending someone, someone at Disney is like, Variety, you better trash this movie. <laughs> yeah. It is funny, though, that uh, you'd be like, hey, you want to see the fucked up scary bear movie this weekend? I don't know, Cocaine Bear or Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Yeah. It's a real real bear month. The weekend of the bears. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you do dare to look for yourselves, this movie is apparently in U.S. theaters now and streaming. I say the see it in theaters. Yeah, bring your bring your family. What was the one that you saw recently that you were like... Oh, uh, uh, Megan? No. There was one that you saw where you were like, within five minutes, I the the gimmick was oh, blown. Yeah, I pissed off a lot of Zoomers with that take, but um, yeah, Skin of a Rink, mm. uh, maybe the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> a fucking trash. Well, uh, argue it out in the comments. But uh, yeah, so it's it's already one of the most profitable films of 2023, the Winnie the Pooh movie, and it, it might hold on to that notoriety throughout the year. I mean, it's they paid like nothing, nothing for it. So yeah. yeah. Um, there aren't exact budget numbers, but it's confirmed to have cost less than $100,000 and was it's already made around $2 million. So, Yeah, it's done it's a lot profit. better than, than most. And uh, Ant-Man has uh, some of the worst review. It's the worst reviewed Marvel movie uh, aside from Eternals. Uh, and people say that uh, because it takes place in the quantum realm, 
the majority of the movie CGI. Yeah. And because of the lack of uh, care for CGI artists and uh, the lowering amount of them, uh, it doesn't look very good. Yeah. No, I saw the trailer for it. Yeah. It's the movie is like ninety five percent shot in front of a, a green screen, and um, it's just got that vibe. Uh, and also, uh, Modok is in it. You only see him briefly in the trailer, but he looks fucking ridiculous because the character already looks fucking ridiculous. And it's just one of those things that maybe doesn't translate so well to like live action because he's just a giant head with arms and legs popping out. Yeah, it is. We are live, and we already mentioned the uh, the the flash trailer thing uh, earlier. It it does look fine. Um, it is weird that we're kind of living in a transition between. Like, if DC can really do great things in the next couple of years, there will have been a shift because the attention and uh, quality of Marvel movies, yeah. understandably, after their big, uh, you know, pinnacle, has dipped in a lot of cases. And DC, at least with uh, with when they give directors the entire trust, uh, yeah. directors that aren't Zack Snyder, uh, they get good things. Well, we'll see. We'll see about that. Well, I, I'm very interested to see if Andy Muschietti can pull off a fucking miracle with the Flash, because the trailer looks good, but also it's nostalgia bait, and yeah. I am very susceptible to that. I see Michael Keaton in the Batman it's literally, outfit, literally 89 Batman in his Batcave with the car and with like an assortment of different costumes that are like all of the like action figures that you could buy. Uh, and if you had saw, <laughs> if you if we watched the trailer at the same time, you'd have been like, "Oh, come on!" And I was clapping like a seal. No, I was Woo! like, "It's I, you know, I love the Michael Keaton Batman, so it was, it was very cool to see him in there." But like, love to see him. Get I don't work. know. I'll I'll see or uh, we'll see. Uh, You'll see. <laughs> if you haven't seen it already, one one of the uh, my favorite films of the last decade is now on HBO Max. Birdman. Oh yeah, Birdman's great. Yeah. So uh, if you haven't seen that yet, it's on HBO Max if you already have yeah. it. In your Ritu is... Uh... Definitely watch it. It's uh, it's awesome. But uh, before we let you go, it wouldn't be... I know we just brought up Warner Brothers naturally, but it wouldn't be an episode of News Dump if we didn't mock Warner Brothers for something. We, did, we did just praise them. Sort yeah, so we, we have to knock so, them back yeah. down a little bit. And we can't make fun of the Flash movie trailer because we'll wait and see the movie, but the trailer looks good. Luckily, most of you still think that this is a gaming channel. So let's check in and see how Warner Brothers gaming division is doing. Multiverse's daily peak stream player count has dropped more than 99% since launch. Huh. The game dropped below a daily peak of 1,000 players for the first time this week. And here's more from Video Games Chronicle. The game enjoyed an extremely successful launch with a peak of more than 143,000 players on Steam on day one, rising up to 153,433 the following day. A month after its launch, Warner Brothers stated that over 20 million players had already downloaded and played the game, suggesting a strong player base on which to build. Since then, however, the daily peak player count has been steadily dropping, to the extent that this week it dipped below 1,000 for the first time, according to SteamDB, hitting a peak of 986 players on Monday. This, this marks a drop in daily peak player count of 99% in less than seven months. And How do you fuck this up? The fighting game community has, like, at any given time, like, four games that they're playing. Like, it's... They fucked it up because they released it and did nothing. See, yeah, this is the kind of game, you have all this, inle it's the intellectual property fighting game, you gotta add a new character, like, every three weeks. That's like Marvel Snap does. Yeah. They, they, their, their microtransactions are out-fucking-rageous. Luckily, you, you don't, don't need to, to use them yeah. at all in the you game. But, to. yeah, they do have a... At least a plan. Yeah. Um, but it's not like DC or, I mean, sorry, DC. Warner Brothers didn't think ahead at all. Yeah. So guess what? Have no fear. 
the most awkwardly timed DLC is about to save this game from the trash bin. Yeah, that's right, kids. Wubba Wubba Dub Dub, Pickle Rick is coming to Multiverses, hey! <laughs> just in time! It's just in time, all right. Justin Royal in time. It's not just in time. Woo! One last paycheck. It's yeah. gonna be the last one for a while, so let's. Uh, actually, hey, you know no. what? The game's dead. Just release Pickle Rick. Yeah. Yeah. It'll it'll either save the game hey, or. Hey, Szechuan be... sauce. Yeah. So yeah, uh, don't sign that death certificate just yet. There's still some gas left in this baby. Let this game cook. Uh, and this game, just to be clear, it takes place in a universe where Justin Roiland did not beat his wife, mm -hmm. and so it's okay. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, this was reported by Kotaku, uh, it was according to some leaked code, uh, and they said, Pickle Rick has entered the battle and could be released at any moment. Right on time! Gamers? G Gamers, we heard you loud and clear. Welcome back to Multiverses. Mm-hmm. He's a pickle. Turned myself into a pickle, Morty. Yeah. I bet I bet he wishes he could be a pickle right about now. Yeah. Uh, anyways, that's it for today's show, and uh, it, now that you're very eager to blow the dust off of those controllers and keyboards and get back into multiverse. Love, love, a dub, dub. We will let you go. But if you haven't watched our videos from earlier this week, what are you doing? We have a new uh, episode of Tech News Day about uh, the wonderful world of romance. AI romance. AI romance. And also just like uh, how Bing's AI is bad. Like it fucking sucks. It's not good. It's uh, notably terrible. <laughs> it is. It is. It has got some serious fatal flaws. Yeah, and if you somehow missed it earlier in the week, we have a whole video on the Ohio train story, among other things. Check out both of those videos. Give the video a like. Subscribe to the channel, and we'll see you soon for weekly weird news. Bye bye. Bye.